Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, January 27th, we are studying Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Jesus' ministry of teaching in Galilee continues. He gets into a boat. He begins to speak in parables. Today's text gives us one of the best known of Jesus' parables, the parable of the sower. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Andy Wright. Pastor Wright serves at St. John Lutheran Church in Keystone, Iowa. Pastor Wright, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Great to be back here. Pastor Wright, as we get started this morning, let's talk a little bit of context. We've come through three chapters in the gospel. According to St. Mark, he's covered a lot of ground already. What do we need to know about the gospel, about where we are going into the beginning of chapter four today? Mark's gospel kind of has, a, you know, as you've been going through here on Sharper Iron, a lot of kind of rapid fire type of things, you know, that throws a lot of information out at us at, at once. Leading up to chapter four here, we kind of just backing up a few verses, we have this discussion about Jesus' mother and brothers. And um, starting with verse 31, if you don't mind, I'll just read a couple of verses kind of leading us up to where we're at. Um, and it's starting in 331, he says, and his mother and brothers came and standing outside, they said to him and called to him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Forever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And now then right after that, then, is where we pick up after this discussion of kind of who is a part of God's family, who are, you know, his disciples. He then goes to then beside the Sea of Galilee and starts teaching them. So kind of there's that, that transition that at first, I think it kind of sounds weird when you first listen to that, but yet he kind of gets into this, one of the larger sections of Mark's gospel where, where he has these teaching, especially this parable kind of discourse that he has going here, uh, mainly through uh, Mark 4, 1 to 34, and he'll kind of pick that up again as well in Mark chapter 13. So that's kind of our immediate context that we have with the parable of the sower, um, starting to teach about and unpacking kind of this discipleship, this who is a part of the, the kingdom of God, what does the kingdom of God mean, and, and everything kind of pertaining to that right after then, you know, he was asked about who are his brothers and mother. You mentioned that this is one of those sections in the Gospel of Mark where we get an extended period of Jesus' teaching. We actually get to hear what he taught. Mark has referenced several times that Jesus has been teaching, but we haven't gotten quite the extended discourse like we do here in chapter 4, this series of parables. And, and these are particularly parables that Jesus will be telling several in a row. We're covering the first today, and we'll pick up the rest of the chapter in the coming days. As we get started here in this new territory for the Gospel of Mark, and we're looking at parables, which I think is a familiar category for us, it's probably helpful to begin to introduce what does that mean? So, Pastor Wright, what is a parable? What, what should be some things that we need to know about parables going in? It's always a good question, because I think we have a lot of baggage that we think about when it comes to parables, and, and, and I think it's well-intentioned at times, too, because so much of kind of how we communicate, like uh, we, we often want to kind of have this association of a parable is just a story to kind of illustrate a point. And when it comes to the parables and the Gospels, there's always an element of that. We don't want to just brush that totally aside. But Jesus will get into this text today to show us that a parable even has, there's a demarcation in a parable too, to kind of show and um for the, those seeking understanding, those outside of the kingdom of God, things that are hidden. So when it comes to looking at the parables, we have to always ask ourselves kind of a lot of questions going into it. Like, you know, um, what, what's he using here? What's, what's different? What sticks out about this? Um, and there's a lot of clues. Now, for the parable that's before us today, he'll just let up tell us this is what this means. 
And and I think we'll get and get into it a little later too. And from a pastoral standpoint, there's a lot of temptations when it comes to what a parable is and what a parable isn't when it comes to preaching. We want to either kind of fall into, well, we'll just kind of, you know, allegorize everything and kind of turn it into, well, this is the lesson we should learn, as opposed to seeing, no, how do we see Christ in this? How is the kingdom of God shown to us? So that's kind of a, a long answer of seeing that a parable is a kind of a, a heavenly um, image or, or, story, or an earthly image or story with kind of this heavenly meaning that shows us about Christ and his kingdom and how he rules and reigns. But always a tough thing, kind of a counter parables. Right. Parables are just a different sort of way of Jesus teaching that we should recognize that he's doing something different and we do need to be careful. Could you talk a little bit more about that temptation to allegorize a parable? And if I just to, if this, I think is where where you're going, perhaps, is that when mm-hmm. it comes to these earthly stories, the, the vehicle that Jesus is going to use to teach us about the kingdom of God, there are a lot of details that he will often include. And I think the temptation is to want to assign meaning to every little piece sometimes. And that's where we can start to get ourselves into trouble. How, how does that kind of temptation get us into trouble? Yeah, it gets us into trouble when it, it, when it definitely obscures the message of what Jesus is trying to say. So we kind of, um, a great example of this is uh, we follow the one-year lectionary here at St. John and Keystone. And the last Sunday of the church year every year is the parable of the Tin Virgin. And that's a parable that's, this is really easy every year. And I mean, and I admit I've fallen into that temptation times too, where you want to say, okay, well, the lamps must mean this, the oil must mean this, you know, the, this must mean this kind of this correlation to the point of Jesus in that parable says, stay awake, right? He's telling us, I'm telling you what this, this means, but we want to say, you know, and then here we've, we've spent this whole sermon trying to to say, well, this must mean this, this must mean this, must mean this, to the point where we missed the whole point of the parable. And we've kind of obscured it into minutiae, you know. And um, But uh, there are instances, though, like in this parable, where Jesus does tell us what things mean. But so, but the, the attempt to, temptation to allegorize is to want to just kind of almost find a, another meaning behind what is said to the point that the text gets kind of put into the background or obscured as opposed to what Jesus is saying there. I don't know if that's helpful or it's one of those things you kind of, and sometimes you, you see when it comes to, especially listening to sermons on parables, you kind of know when you hear it, like, wait a minute, I, I, maybe that's kind of losing sight of, of what Jesus is saying there, but it, it's so easy to do because, and because we always want to try to say, well, what's that mean? What's that mean? What's that mean? You know? And, and then we kind of, okay, let's hold our, hold our horses there for a second. Let's just kind of back up and let's just listen, listen to what Jesus is saying here. But. Yeah, no, that, that, that is very helpful. And I think, you know, certain parables, for example, this one, and we will read it here in a moment. What's nice mm-hmm. about this parable is that you get the explanation from Jesus. And he tells you, for example, that the sower sows the word. So you know that the seed is the word. And then he tells you what the various types of soil are and the situations that you would experience as a part of the kingdom of God. He tells you what that that is. And so Jesus himself gives you some direction as to these are some things that you need to understand are teaching you about the kingdom of God. Whereas some of the other details in there, they're just there to make that story actually make some sense. There are other parables that we'll encounter in this chapter later, and then, of course, elsewhere in the Gospels, where you don't get that, uh, that, that exact explanation from Jesus concerning which points to really pay attention to. So and just, just one more thought on that, Pastor Wright, and I know this is maybe where there gets to be some disagreement or some uh, wrestling and conversation among those who read the Scriptures. How do you know which points to look for something that Jesus is saying something about the kingdom of God? And which points are sort of just there to make the story make sense? What are some of those markers that we might look for in the parables to try to get a, a handle on what Jesus wants us to pay attention to and maybe those details that we don't need to assign some deeper meaning to? Well, like anything, it's there's a, so much to be seen and what is the context of what's being said. Um, oftentimes it depends on kind of like what you were getting at too about how some parables are are addressing different things like some are about the kingdom of god some are more pragmatic things too as well but i i think 
uh, oftentimes we have to look at, okay, what's the context of what's being said here? Um, who is the audience to that Jesus is preaching to in this in a certain parable? What sticks out to us? What does Jesus clearly say delineating from, okay, this is what the parable is, or as we'll see in today, like how he ends the parable, you know, where he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, those kind of things like that, they're, they're kind of things that jump out to us as markers. And some of that, too, is a little difficult. Like um, when we think of, um, like uh, this coming Sunday, I'm going to be preaching on the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, right? And um, we have all of those things. But there's always that thing of, well, that sounds weird. Why would anybody do that? And that's kind of always a marker, too, yeah. of like paying them all the same wage, for instance. That doesn't seem fair. Why? So that kind of sticks out to us as well, that this must be a this is really a point that he's trying to drive through because it's different, something that sticks out. But he does still, you know, give us these kind of clues within it that we follow these principles of kind of, okay, reading what is said here, um, how is he kind of marking within the text itself what's different, um, and kind of just a lot of context. But, it, I mean, it, it, it is a difficult task. Parables are some of the hardest things, I think, in the Gospels to kind of to read through and make sense of at times. I agreed there, and I think you you pointed out a, a good thing there that oftentimes that thing that doesn't really seem to fit with real life that's one of those things that okay maybe we should pay attention to that even with the and and so just as a a, a brief example with the, the parable you brought up the where Jesus tells the parable of the man who goes out and hires workers for his vineyard all day long when you think about how that parable unfolds you know there's. There are workers that are hired at the beginning of the day, at three hours, at six hours, nine hours, and then at the 11th hour. That's kind of the way the parable unfolds. But when you get to the end of the parable, what really comes into view are particularly those hired at the beginning of the day and those hired at the very end of the day. And Jesus will even, I think, conclude that parable by saying the first shall be last and last shall be first, or, or maybe it's flip-flopped. But but the point is, you you see, you've got this vineyard owner hiring people throughout the day, the there's probably not a need to assign, okay, well, what does the third hour represent? What does the sixth hour represent? What does the ninth hour represent? That's just part of setting up the story so that Jesus can make the point about the first and the last and, and, and make that the central point. So that, I don't know, that, I think that's a, a decent example of trying to get the big picture and not get bogged down into what you rightly call allegorizing. So, that's going to be what we're going to try to do today in the parable of the sower. Thankfully, we've got Jesus to guide us in his explanation. The text we've got today is Mark 4, verses 1 through 20. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole text for us. It, it kind of breaks up. You've got the parable, an interlude, where Jesus is going to talk a little about what parables are and do, and then he's going to explain the parable. So we're going to hear all of it at once to get started. Mark 4, beginning at verse 1. Again, he, Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, 
immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. That is our text for today. Mark chapter four, verses one through 20. So Pastor Wright, the scene is set. Jesus again is in Galilee. He's been doing his ministry primarily in Galilee up to this point in the gospel of Mark. We've seen these large crowds around him before. He gets into a boat to preach. This isn't the first time we've seen Jesus in a boat either. The Sea of Galilee remains a central part of his ministry there in Galilee. But again, this is the first time he begins to speak to them in parables, and we get those recorded for us in this section of Mark. As you think about the parable of the sower, well, before we go there, is there anything in that opening context you want to comment on in terms of the, the setting and what is going on here with Jesus? Not too much. Uh, It's always a fascinating thing, though, for us to think about kind of how this teaching occurs in the Gospels, especially in Matthew and Mark. Um, I mean, we think about the Sermon on the Mount or or here, this idea of Jesus getting out into a boat and sitting on on the uh, sitting in, in on the sea and then teaching. You know, that's just kind of it's very vivid. And we can I think it's easy for us to picture that in our minds of, okay, now then and then he teaches from that. You know, in days before, you know, microphones or, you know, being able to do all these kind of things like that to, to, it gives us kind of a scale too of just the crowd that here he's kind of getting out away from this a little bit in order to teach them as well. I don't know, just kind of when you were reading through that again, listening to you, just kind of that image just always pops in my mind to, and to think of and see that site that's very different than what we think of maybe like sitting in a church and the pastor standing up and, and preaching to us or in a Bible study or or even just in a classroom, very different. Sure. And I mean, I think when we think of, for example, the Gospel of Matthew, we think of chapters 5, 6, and 7, we call that the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is on a mountain there. There's a section in the Gospel according to St. Luke that I think is sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain, which is, and of course, the, mm-hmm. the material in these is sometimes you know very similar. But here in, in the Gospel according to St. Mark, you could call this perhaps the Sermon from the Boat. And so, because he's going to be there for an extended period of time, it seems, and he's he's teaching. And again, we've got the parable of the sower. As we were talking about parables in our introduction, we were talking about one of the things we might look for is that which seems out of the ordinary. So just in, in terms of the story itself, what Jesus sets up in verses 3 through 8, what are some of those details that stand out as, as perhaps a bit unusual Just, I guess, set the scene for us, because, well, I don't know. Is this how they plant in in Iowa, Pastor Wright? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting that you brought that up. Uh, uh, Let me caveat this by saying it it saves me a lot of grief later. I know nothing about farming. That being said, (laughs) (laughs) you know, where am I a pastor? In Iowa. (laughs) Um, And, uh, and uh, they, I get a, they give me a hard time about that. And it's one of those things that having this, I, going uh, over eight years now that I've been a pastor here in Keystone, and the vast majority of our congregation in our area is farming. Even if they don't do that full time, they at least help out on family farms or involved in farming industry in some way, shape, or form. So, I mean, that's kind of the, the bread and butter out here. So... So yeah, sewing, um, you know, it's uh, it, it's very different nowadays where you have planters, plus then too that you have uh, gen- genetically engineered seed, you have people that go out and study soil samples, you have, I mean, it's a science very much through and through. And so the thing that always sticks out being in a farming community nowadays, at least, is just the indiscriminate nature of sowing, soil, of sowing the seed, right? Just the scattering those kind of things like that. You talk to a lot of the farmers, and, I mean, they're very intentional when they map out where they put their seed. So that's something nowadays that sticks out to hearers, you know, uh, especially in a, in a farming context. But in verse 3, too, notice how he starts 
when he starts saying about this. He says, what, listen, guys, hey, listen up. You know, um, so already we're, we're getting this imagery of hearing, listening, and then, you know, this language of the word. So even from the get-go before he tells us the seed is the word or those things like that, okay, listen, this is that um, also a marker paying attention. My, my youngest daughter, um, it gets kind of noisy in our house at times, and when she wants to be heard, what does she say? Listen, hey, guys, listen to me, listen. <laughs> and so kind of, okay, all right. We, we want our attention. You want us to listen closely to what you're saying. And so he kind of starts that out. So those things, kind of just this, this indiscriminate nature of sowing out the, the seed, but also this, okay, listen up, pay attention, focus in, zero in, listen to my words, what I'm here to say. And then in verse 9, right, how will he bracket this off with, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So in the midst of this hearing is where he talks about the seed and sowing. So already I think those are really some just – big flags that jump up out at us as he's hearing this, that, wait a minute, he's not just giving us a lesson in good agriculture. He's giving us a lesson in hearing something. Yeah. Right. And and that that lesson in hearing something will really fit well with the way Jesus explains this parable beginning in verse 14, where he says, the sower sows the word. I mean, the word is something to be heard. And so how we hear that's going to be a, a big point in this parable. And and you're right, the indiscriminate nature of the sowing of the seed really does stand out. Certainly to our ears today, as you said, in, in a world where farming has become just a, a science, would it have stood out in Jesus' day, do you think, as well? I, I guess I, I don't, or, is, or was this kind of sowing common where you just would have flung the seed and it landed on whatever soil? Well, from what I know, I mean, there was this nature of just flinging this out. Now, I'm not real positive, and, and this is where I kind of is outside of my, my area of knowledge, is that how much of, like, there's this element of, you know, it going upon these different um, types of ground. You know, like, if being out in a field, the, the sowing of this, you know, just, just having the sowing bag, the seed bag, and, you know, just that you see in a lot of pictures or paintings, you know, them just kind of flinging it out like that. I mean, I think there is somewhat of an element of those things. But, but this idea, though, that, that Jesus talks about, you know, rocky ground or among thorns, you don't think that you would normally just go up and if you see thorns or rocky ground, just throw seed into it. Now, I'm not sure all of the farming practices during this time, like I said, I know nothing about farming now, nor do, the, do I then, but... To me, that still kind of seems to be, from what I've studied before with this parable, that, that, that's another kind of marker of, wait a minute, why is this, why would you, why would that make sense even back then to, to sow among the thorns and the rocky ground? Right. And, and again, when you think about the context, again, as you, you set up earlier with chapter three and where we've seen Jesus in the last chapter, one of the features of really all of Mark 2 and a good chunk of chapter 3 is this opposition that is building against Jesus. And maybe the question would become, well, what, what's he doing still talking to them? Why, why is he preaching the word to those scribes and Pharisees? Why? And, and we'll see him in, in coming chapters spend a lot of time talking to people who don't get him, which includes his own disciples. Uh, and we shouldn't lose sight of that. He's even going to ask that question here in this text, you know, why don't you understand the parable? <laughs> how, how, how are you going to understand any of them if you don't understand this one? And so I, I think at, at least, again, how much of it matches up with the first century farming? Maybe maybe we're not. I, I don't I'm not entirely familiar with it either. It does strike us as odd, but maybe that's the point with Jesus, too. Some of his own practices in preaching the word and teaching the word seem strange that he's preaching amidst a lot of opposition. And yet that word is still sown. Uh, and, and so that, I mean, that's, that's just one thing to consider. As we, as we think about the parable, uh, Pastor Wright, we, we've got the, the details there, and Jesus is going to explain them. But in the middle, there's this interlude of sorts, where Jesus is alone, and you've got people around him with the twelve who are asking him a little bit more about the parables. And he, he gives them this explanation in which he quotes from Isaiah, and you mentioned this, I think, at the beginning about this this function of the parables that it demarcates people and that some people will get them and understand and some people won't get them and be driven farther away. 
as as we we're getting close to the break here, but at least just get us started on this. What is what is Jesus saying here in this little interlude in which he quotes from Isaiah? It's always an interesting thing when we hear something like this from Isaiah that Jesus quotes here, because we rightly so understand that the gospel is for all people, all nations, right? That's what Jesus sends the the apostles out to preach to all nations in Matthew twenty eight and at you know, the end of Mark's gospel and Luke, all, all of that. So any time that we have him quote something where it says that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should be turned and be forgiven, kind of the, the hair on the back of our necks kind of stand up and let them go, wait a minute, is God actually trying to keep people out of the kingdom of God? So when we, we hear this, you know, to... And, and Jesus quote this in a demarcation. Yeah, it is worth further study here. But I think we're seeing that. Well, let, let's understand where does the fault lie? Is God really the one who's at fault here? Or are we understanding that there's a hardness of heart and God is kind of separating this and those who would who, who have faith that he has given to faith faith to? and that they would understand. Um, And this is where I think Matthew's gospel kind of helps us interpret this as well. We can get into that a little bit too, but just kind of this um, faith-seeking understanding, uh, separating the crowds from the the twelve. You know, there's that motion there too. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. So these are the ones who who are within the kingdom of God right now, not just the the mixed group of the, the twelve to know these things about the kingdom of God. Well, we'll keep that conversation going on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We will be right back. Please stick around. What does it mean to live the Christian life? Reaching out in mercy to our neighbors, receiving our Lord's gifts in worship, and proclaiming His truth to the world. The Lutheran Church Extension Fund comes alongside churches and individuals to help them live out this beautiful Christian life every day. This year, we have a ripe opportunity to bring Christ to a hurting world. Discover the role you can play in this great work. Call 800-843-5233 or visit lcef.org. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, January 27th. We are studying Mark chapter 1 verses, sorry, Mark chapter 4 verses 1 through 20 with Pastor Andy Wright of St. John Lutheran Church in Keystone, Iowa. Pastor Wright, prior to the break, we were looking at these interluding verses here between the parable itself and Jesus' explanation, where Jesus quotes from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, particularly concerning the way these parables function. And one of the the challenges, I think, is because we we hear these words that Jesus quotes and kind of have the question, well, does does Jesus not want these people to understand? Is he telling parables because he doesn't want them to perceive and understand? And I I don't know that that's quite the right question to ask. It it seems to me that simply Jesus is, is responding to what's been happening. Again, he's coming out of this section of great opposition that's been building to him. And so often in the Old Testament, we see that when God is met with opposition, he responds with with judgment. I mean, we, we see this in his own people, Israel. The, a good example would be Pharaoh in the land of Egypt as well, and, and the whole Exodus account, how the more Pharaoh responds in opposition to the Lord, the more the Lord responds in judgment. And that's part of how the Lord in his justice and righteousness acts toward our sin, is that he is sometimes, he, he responds with his judgment. And so, I mean, if, if nothing else... I think you can see that in the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus has been met with opposition. And so he responds by teaching in a way that might not lead those people to understand. It's part of his judgment against their unbelief. And we will see that judgment come out throughout the the Gospel according to St. Mark in, in other ways as well. You mentioned prior to the break that some of the things that Matthew records and the way that he records, I think is in chapter 13, where he records this section of parables, is is helpful in this in this section. What what else can you bring out from these verses? Matthew includes yeah in verse um, so chapter thirteen verse ten right after he gives them 
this parable, then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has more, will, to the one who has more will be given, and who have an abundance from, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So there's kind of this, okay, the, the disciples are, are in the crowd here. They hear this preaching of Jesus. Their ears perk up and they're thinking, what in the world does this mean? So they go to Jesus. They ask him, hey, Jesus. They ask that good Lutheran question, what does this mean? Mark does hint with, or not hint, but he does get at that too in verse 10. And when he was alone, those who around him with the 12 asked about the parables and I think your comments were really very helpful, too, that you just mentioned here, that we, like, looking in this this whole context here so that the, they're hearing these things, the, the disciples come to him, they're asking this, what does this mean question, and he's, he's facing a lot of opposition, but nowhere in this whole parable is he emphasizing the fact that this Word of God isn't preached to everybody, right? The Word of God is preached to everybody. There's this indiscriminate sowing of the seed that we saw, but those who are opposing him, those who are, you know, um, outside of this, this kingdom, there is this, you know, okay, you guys are going to hear these things. It's you, but uh, these things are discerned by the spirit, which you have been given. You're going to, to hear and understand and ask questions and seek more understanding with these parables, as opposed to those who are just hearing this word kind of, you know, for whatever reason it may be, maybe it's just something to do that day, right? Or some they're trying to catch Jesus in something, too. That's another thing that we see oftentimes, you know, what can we get? But if he's speaking in parables, what, you know, what in the world is this guy talking about? You know, that, so, I mean, it's always, it's, it's a, that's a, that's what makes this parable of the sower, which is so very straightforward, a little more difficult in the sense of this little interlude, you know, in it, that it kind of just gets us thinking. I actually had a parishioner one time after the sermon um, when we preach uh, Luke's gospel uh, account of this um, during the pre-Lent season. And uh, he a- was asking me about this because that, that really, you know, stuck out to him and it was bothered by it. But but when we look at the, the whole context of this this parable itself and seeing that it's not God, it's not that God is not desiring people to hear and believe the gospel, but he's just kind of, in a sense, these people who are not seeing and understanding, he's just... You know, this is kind of almost an insider-outsider type of thing. I think Dr. Belts in his commentary talks about that. You know, here now to understand these parables, specifically parables, that that's the language that's being used here, and quoting Isaiah, the call of Isaiah, from Isaiah 6. Right, we, we certainly wouldn't, wouldn't want to read these verses and somehow read into them a desire on God's part not to save, because we know from the rest of Holy Scripture and Jesus' own ministry— and even this parable that he's sowing the word everywhere, that he has the desire to save. And in Ezekiel, I desire not the death of the sinner, but that he would repent and return and live. And First Timothy 2, God desires all men to be saved and, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we, we wouldn't want to read into these verses something that's not there. And, and, but we also want to let them, them stand and recognize you know, this, this mystery that is there, that the word and, and maybe this can, can be the bridge into the explanation that Jesus gives. There's nothing wrong with the word. The seed is good in, in this parable. That's what's being sown. But there is a problem with the soil. And it's, it's a bit mysterious as to, to how that works. But it seems that that's the reality that Jesus is describing, is that there are these different types of soil. And not every soil is right for the word. Something's, nothing's wrong with the word. But something is wrong with the soil. Something is wrong with the hearers. So as, with that as a bit of a bridge, hopefully, Pastor Wright, let's start thinking about this explanation that Jesus gives. There's lots here to talk about. So just help us to get going into the way that Jesus explains this parable, the things that we should pick up for our use today. It's very practical, kind of what Jesus says. And, and I think this is where um, it's both from a pastoral standpoint, you know, I, I know if if you are like this oftentimes, but more and more now, when I hear something, and especially if I've preached on a text, my first inclination is always to want to ask, how would I preach this? 
you know, and, <laughs> right. um, and so it's, it's kind of just kind of stepping back from that for a minute, but, but still that it's, it makes it easy to preach in that way, but it kind of makes it hard too, because it's easy to kind of want to just um, go off on one of these things and, and miss, uh, lose sight of what else he's talking about. But, but he starts off by saying, you know, kind of what you said here in verse 14, the sower sows the seed. And he gets into this first group here. These are the ones um, who, along the path where the word is sown, uh, they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So who's to blame then um, in this first thing? Is it the word that's blamed? Well, no, as you rightly you know, pointed out, it's not the word that's to blame, it's Satan, right? Um, these are the ones that are sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So he's kind of grouping in, Ma- in Mark here, a lot of these all together. But, but you know, this Satan, it, it, this image of the sower sows the seed, and here's Satan kind of almost walking around trying to see who he can pluck out of this as much as he can. And it's not the fault of the word of God, but there's these times of tribulation, these times of trial, these times that, um, you know, that uh, it doesn't take root this word of God. And um, there's uh, lest we forget that the devil is a um, prowling around like a roaring, roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That's a, a warning to us, you know, hearing the word of God, that there's somebody else who doesn't want this seed to take root in our lives. There's somebody who wants this seed just to be, taken away and um, outside, not uh, and for us to be outside of the kingdom of God. So I think that's kind of the first thing that jumps out that we hear this is, is the role of Satan in this, that he's, he's involved in this world and this soil that we live in here in this world. Even, and, and just again, with the context, it was only the very previous chapter where Jesus is confronted by the scribes and the Pharisees who are saying that Jesus is actually possessed by Beelzebul, that he is, that Jesus is in league with the prince of demons, and that's how he's acting. And so we've seen the role that Satan has played in this gospel already, even thinking back to Mark chapter 1, where Jesus is preaching in the synagogue, and he's confronted by that man with the unclean spirit. We've seen how Satan is active against the word of God already, and Jesus here reminds his disciples, this is the reality. The enemy is attacking the preaching of the word of God. He's seeking to take it away. And that's a, a real threat, one that, well, so, I mean, with, with that reality, what, what do we do with that, Pastor Wright? It, there's, I think there's, I mean, maybe there's a, a couple things. One is that we recognize it, that the, the devil is, is active. And when the word of God is preached, we should expect that he's going to snatch some of it away. And so there's sort of just this element that, yes, we realize that that's reality. But I think there's also a sense in which, and this I think is going to be true with all these various types of soil. There's a sense in, in which we we would do well to guard against, as best we can, these threats to the hearing of the word of God. So in terms of this first category, when Satan's going to come and snatch the word away, how do we guard against that? I think Jesus kind of gives us, you know, kind of some uh, words to hear here with this. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So we, we recognize that Satan is at work. We recognize that these things are in the world and that we will face tribulation and persecution. And as Christians who do hold fast to God's word, we first listen to the word. But also when these times arise, what should be our response? Not to go running away from the word, not fall away from the word, from the seed, but go running back to it. And I think that's the, the big difference here, that they rather than get caught up in those things and finally just say something like it's not worth it or it, it, am I going to suffer for this? Do I really want to face persecution and tribulation on account of the word? Um, you know, we say, absolutely, I will, because it is the word of God. It's the it's it's my salvation given to me. And so I think that's kind of, no, you know, they always think is the first, uh, you know, Thing in, something in battle is knowing your your enemy, right? Knowing the devil, but also knowing that that ultimately he's been defeated, and don't don't believe his lies. You know, don't believe his lies that will try to take you away during times of trial and tribulation and persecution. Go running back to this to the sower of the seed, 
go back running to where he gives because the seed that he gives, the word of God, it, it gives you life. It bears abundant fruit. And I think that's kind of a, a pretty um, straightforward thing that Jesus kind of teaches us here, kind of by way of, you know, look, look at, I'm teaching you what the devil tries to do. Don't fall, don't fall to prey to his trap. Dr. Veltz in his commentary makes the, I think what's an important point that in the parable itself and in the explanation itself, Jesus spends a lot of time talking about that second type of soil that you were talking about, this rocky ground, the ones who they hear the word with joy at first, but they have no root. And then comes that tribulation, that persecution on account of the word, and that's where they, they fall away. And he makes the point, and I think it's, it's well taken, that this is probably a very applicable thing for the people that Jesus is talking to. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to these crowds, the people who are around him again in verse 10, and they've received the word with joy. There's all, there is a lot of joy that surrounds Jesus for all the opposition that's come from the scribes who are being attacked by the devil. There's a lot of joy around him and his disciples and these crowds. And so for them, I think the temptation is precisely this, this, tribulation, this persecution that will come on account of the word, and that's the the threat against them. And, and perhaps for us too, today as hearers of the word, as those who do have joy in Christ and what he has done, this is a, a very real temptation for us as well to fall away when persecution. And so, as, as you said, to come back to the word, to come back to the sower of the seed, that's where the root is developed. That's the that's part of the problem here with this second soil. There's no root. Well, how does how does that root get developed? And and here's where I should say I, I want to try to be careful because sometimes I think we get carried away. We were talking about the allegorizing earlier. I want to, I want to be a little bit careful and and recognize maybe now we're going to start talking beyond this parable in the way that we apply it. And that that's okay. But I just want to be careful with that. Um, that mm -hmm. that we we keep coming back. I think that was well said. We keep coming back to the sower of the seed. Come back to the word. That's where the root is actually developed. Uh, any more thoughts on that that second type of soil? Sure. Yeah, and I, I was kind of conflating the, the first two with the Satan and just taking it away. But I think they're related, yeah, with uh, the ones who receive with joy, have no root, and then times of persecution. There, there is kind of all this, a lot of overlap. But, but yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that, um, you know, always when I, I think of this too, kind of these ones that with joy and then fall away. It always reminds me of John chapter six, right? That long chapter of, yeah. of scripture where you have these people listening to Jesus. And then there comes a point that Jesus gives them a hard saying, right? They don't like what he has to say. And finally they go away. Those, some Jews who had believed stopped following him. And he says, are you, he says to the disciples, are you two going to go away? And right. And what's the response? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So that word, you know, w was received. They fall away. But yet, what do the disciples do? Well, where else are we going to go? You're the only one that has the word of eternal life, Lord. Right? And that great confession of faith there and those things. So I, th I think that's kind of, you know, kind of a, a thing for us. But it's easy to get caught up to um, one of the warnings in this. There's a lot of warnings to us. And that's what makes it kind of easy and difficult to preach because it's easy just to want to kind of lay the hammer down, you know, don't get caught up in this. Don't get, you know, those kind of things like that. But there is a, uh, there's truth to being what is said that fair weather Christianity too is sometimes dangerous, right? We, when, when there are times of joy, but then when the crosses do come, when the illness comes, when the suffering comes, you know, here in Iowa, we, we have we had a rough year with uh you know just with everything with the pandemic but also with we had a, a derecho a windstorm come through uh back in august and our church took a ton of damage and we're still facing the ramifications of that to this day it's just it's been a mess but yet so there's been not too many joyful times you know trying to deal with these things but yet you know um what wh where else are we going to go except to christ and we take care of his church because this is he, he is the he is the lord who has redeemed us by his blood so, you know, it, um, we're not going to, we're not going to fall away. We're going to keep coming back. Even if, even if the, our roof gets ripped off in a windstorm, we're coming back to the sower of the seed. In verse 18, Jesus begins to talk about the third type of soil, the ones that are sown among the thorns. 
What's the, the warning inherent in this third type of soil, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things? What's the warning there? What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world yet lose his soul? I think that's kind of uh, what Jesus is telling us here. And this is where it's really tempting for us as Christians. Um, we still have that old Adam hanging around our neck who, who whatever the cares of this world may be, um, deceitfulness of riches, you know, boy, you know, this job will really um, pay well. I'll be able to take care of my family. So what if I won't get to um, go attend services on Sunday? Or what if it takes me away from these things, right? What do I need need that? Or it will just be for a little while. Or the, the cares of this world, um, well, all of my friends are doing um, this activity on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night. What does um, and, you know, this is, I'm young, I can do these things now, or, I mean, insert any number of things like that, or these other desires, these are the things pulling us away, you know, trying to, I mean, the unholy trinity of the devil, the world, and our own fallen flesh, the world, and the world is not just the world, even in a general sense, but it's our own communities, even our own families at times, the cares of this world, caring for those things over and above God and his word and his kingdom. This is a, it's a very dangerous thing. And what, notice what Jesus says, it chokes the word. Uh, it chokes it. And boy, is that a very vivid image. You know, when we get caught up in whatever care of the world we may have, whatever allure of riches, earthly riches, right? Not, not Jesus' priceless treasure. He's our true rich, um, true riches or desire for other things, just these other things that lest we, the word of God, be choked in our lives. Um, that's, I think, a very, very stern warning of our Lord there. So Jesus has presented three types of soil that do not bear any fruit. That's how this last, this third type of soil ends. It proves unfruitful. But there is one, one soil, the last soil, the good soil, that does bear fruit. So we've got about five minutes here, Pastor Wright, to, to talk about this good soil and I think we've been talking a lot about the warnings of this parable. This good soil can help us to understand some of the comfort of this parable that's there as well. Yeah, and, and that's always a, a great question we should ask. You know, where's the comfort in all of this? Where's the preaching of Christ? Where is, you know, and, and this parable is, is such a comforting thing. It's a comforting thing because it does the... the what Jesus says here, those that were sown in good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. God's word will work. It will accomplish the purposes for which he sends it. And so all of these other soils got caught up in all these other things. And this this soil does bear fruit, and it's those who are hearing it. And this word accept accept it. Sometimes as, as Lutherans, um, when we have translations like accepting, we, we don't like that active language. But there's a, uh, I mean, the large catechism talks about, um, and I think this note might be in the Lutheran study Bible too, the word of so is so effective that whenever it is seriously contemplated, heard and used, it is bound never to be without fruit. So this good soil looks to this word, believes it, and it and it produces this, this thing. So the, the root and all of that goes back to back to that word, back to it's the one that, that does that. So there's a comfort to be found in looking not to then ourselves, because it's easy for us, we can ask, well, which soil am I? Well, the minute we start asking those questions, that's a law, that's a law question, because we will see that we, insofar as we're still sinners in this world, we're always going to be caught up in these other things, and our soil is not a good soil in terms of that. But when we start looking for our confidence and we start trusting in the one who is the sower of the seed, the one who does preach this word to us, we believe it, we cling to it, it's going to produce fruit. It's going to bear 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold fruit because um, it rests in and finds its confidence in that. And for, the, for pastors preaching the word of God, what a comforting thing it is, too, to know that our duty is to preach the word of God in season and out of season, and God is the one who is going to produce the fruit. God is the one who is going to, to, do, to do this. So the comfort goes back to the one who is the sower of the seed. Um, because we can drive ourselves nuts trying to ask, you know, what, what about the, the soil makes them this or whatever the case may be. Well, that's, I think, the wrong question to ask. But the other question is to ask, 
look at what it says, who hear the word of God, right? Who hear it, accept it, bears fruit. Yeah, that, the question about which soil am I, I don't think it's it's entirely out of bounds. There is an, uh, an element sure. of of self-examination that should happen. And as we've been saying in terms of the warning, but if, if it becomes a, a matter of how do I make myself into good soil, we've missed the point. And you, you've, you've rightly drawn us back to the very beginning of that explanation that Jesus gives, the sower sows the word. And even back to the way he started this whole section, listen, listen. It's about hearing the word of God. Mm -hmm. what, is it, what is it that's going to do the work, that's going to bring the fruit? It is the word of God. That's, that's the active thing. And I think as this section and Mark continues and Jesus will tell more parables, we're going to see that drawn out, that, that it is his word that is active to do the work. With just under two minutes here, Pastor Wright, final comments on this text, this parable, give us the comfort of the gospel that Jesus has for us in this text. Well, there's great comfort to be found in, in Christ, the sower of the seed. And, and as you said, kind of as, uh, you know, this, this is, it doesn't just end here when Jesus is giving this. This is a, big, a part of a bigger section of Mark, and he'll bring up again this whole idea of hearing. And hear, uh, anyone has ears to hear, let him hear and pay attention to what you hear. And um, so from our standpoint, as we hear this, um, when we, we take comfort in the fact that it doesn't depend on doesn't depend on my soil. It depends on the one who sows, sows the seed, the one who, who has um, been lifted up high on the cross, the one who draws his people to himself, the one who, who preaches this word to us and accomplishes the purposes for which he sends it. And we know what those purposes of God are, right? Those purposes are that we would believe and have eternal life. And that's what drives us to those things. So always, yeah, so very appropriate to ask which soil am I, but that's always going to lead us to, then to that answer of, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Mm -hmm. And then when we ask, who is the sower of the seed? We see it's pointing us to Jesus. And then there's where we look to and we, we, we hear it, we accept it, and it bears fruit. 30-fold, 100-fold, or 60-fold and 100-fold. And, and that's a great comfort that it depends on the one who is the sower of the seed. And, and he's our good shepherd, the one who does it. God be praised. Pastor Andy Wright is the pastor at St. John Lutheran Church in Keystone, Iowa, helping us this morning with Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Pastor Wright, thanks for being our guest this morning. Thank you very much. Lord be with you on your day. And also with you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have a question about this text from Mark chapter 4 or anything in the gospel according to St. Mark, please send us an email to KFUO at KFUO.org. We'd love to hear from our listeners here on Sharper Iron. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.